David mentioned, uh, or not David, Jacob. We're studying a psalm of David. Uh, as Jacob mentioned, we are going to be studying Psalm 18 this morning. I would invite you uh, to turn there uh, in your copy of God's Word. And uh, some of you were here in Idaho. Some of you who have moved here recently probably heard about a very infamous winter known as Snowmageddon. Uh, the winter of 2017, uh, where we got about three times uh, the usual amount of snow. Uh, and usually we get snow, a light dusting, uh, and it melts uh, within a day or two. Uh, but this winter we got yeah, three times the usual amount of snow, and it stayed below freezing for about eight weeks. Uh, and I was like, that sounds kind of nice right now, actually, uh, in the middle of summer. But uh, so we had this, this pileup of snow. And I remember when, when the snow finally melted and the sun was shining uh, someday in, in the middle of March, my wife and I went for a walk. Uh, and we were walking through our neighborhood and literally everybody was outside that day. Uh, and much to my wife's embarrassment, uh, I was shouting across the street to everybody and kind of like in a Jimmy Stewart uh, accent, well, hello there, the sun is shining. Uh, and everybody had that same attitude. Nobody even looked at me like I was crazy because we were so pent up uh, from uh, being inside for weeks and weeks. Uh, but we all had this, this great rejoicing because we were just coming out of a very difficult period of time. We all experience that same season of overcast, cloudy, dark, dismal days full of snow and cold, uh, and we were all rejoicing together. Uh, and we have all uh, experienced something similar to that, probably in, in various times and circumstances in our lives. Uh, there are seasons that we have in life that are long uh, and difficult uh, and that are trying. Maybe we have walked through a season of serious conflict, either at work or in our neighborhood or with a family member. Or maybe there has been a, a season of serious suffering by you or by a loved one. Or maybe you have walked through a season of time where you just were not sure how you were going to make ends meet. Right? Your, uh, the money in and the money out were not uh, the same uh, and things were tight for quite a while. Maybe there was a season in life in which you, you literally did not know how you were going to survive. Now, I've heard some of your, your testimonies coming out of uh, addiction and uh, struggling with, with drugs and alcohol. And some of us have walked and lived those circumstances as well. There are seasons of life uh, where we rejoice to see them not ahead of us, but in our rear view mirror. And as we, we come to Psalm 18 today... What we see uh, is David rejoicing over the fact that what was ahead of him for so long, uh, a very difficult and long trying season of life, is now in his rearview mirror. So you look at the, the superscription in Psalm 18. It says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. That, that superscription is the longest in the entire Psalter. Uh, it's a very important background to what we are going to, to study this morning because David is, is coming out of a season. He has finally been delivered from a, a period of his life that was physically exhausting and emotionally depleting. 
Now, after years of fleeing and hiding, fearing and crying, David has finally been delivered from King Saul, who has been pursuing him for years and years, leading him to to hide in caves and, and run to the Philistines and do so many things. Imagine being on the run for years and years. Now, what we see here in Psalm 18, this is his song of thanksgiving. Now, this is him crying out to God uh, in absolute joy at finally being delivered. Uh, And the the words of this psalm are uh, almost identical to David's song in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 22. Uh, And it's really the the same song. Uh, And Psalm or 2 Samuel 22 is probably the original. uh, And David probably edited this psalm uh, to be sung corporately in Israel's worship. Uh, And so these uh, are identical uh, songs with some slight variances. And as we as we study this psalm this morning, uh, we are going to see David's response of thanksgiving to Yahweh for finally delivering him from Saul and establishing him as the king of Israel. Uh, And this psalm is going to teach us how we can and should thank God when we are delivered from difficult circumstances uh, in our earthly lives, right? Uh, And ultimately, how we can praise and thank Him uh, for our ultimate deliverance, our salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to see this morning. How should we respond when we are delivered out of suffering and trials in this life? And what we're going to see are five impulses that we should have when we are delivered by God. Uh, And uh, some of you may be looking kind of turning a page in your Bible. Like, I remember Psalm 18. It was a long psalm, right? And it's actually the fourth longest psalm in the entire psalm book. It's 50 verses. Uh, so we're, we're going to, to march through this rather quickly. Uh, and uh, But we're going to get through it, uh, I promise. And, and we're going to read it bit by bit uh, and look at it together. And uh, ultimately, we're going to see these five impulses uh, and of response from King David. And the first impulse that we are going to see is in verses 1 through 3. And we could call this impulse that we should express our affection to Yahweh for deliverance. Uh, and I think it's fitting that we sang the song that we just sang because what was the, the what did we end with? I love you, Lord. Well, what a beautiful song to sing together. And how does King David begin this psalm? What does he say? He says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. And that is a very unique expression. Uh, It doesn't occur too often in uh, the Hebrew. uh, And it reveals uh, David's intimacy with God. Uh, It's an intimacy that comes only when you've walked through uh, long trials with somebody. Right? And you think about uh, what David is, is letting out emotionally right now. Uh, Yahweh has been his companion, the one that he has cried out to in caves as he's run from King Saul for years and years. Uh, And you think at what that has done to the heart of King David. Uh, It has drawn him, drawn his affection uh, to Yahweh as his faithful companion, as his source of strength. And so David begins this psalm crying out to God and just expressing his affection for God. And then from there, in verse 2, David lists off a string of names for God, and he gives eight pictures to describe Yahweh. He says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, 
my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. In all of these pictures, you see David's meditation upon his circumstances and his meditation upon God's character because all of these illustrations that David points to and says this is what God is like are drawn from either David's own experience as a military commander, right? He's my shield. He's my, the horn of my salvation or his time as a wanderer in the wilderness, He's my rock, my refuge, my place of security, my fortress. This is the idea here. And also, notice that each of these metaphors is very personal to David. He doesn't just say that God is a rock or the rock. He says God is my rock. All of this points to David's very personal and very intimate relationship with God. And David has this personal and intimate relationship with God, and that leads to the reality that when David prays, God responds. David has a trust that that will take place, and he has seen it take place. And what we see in verse 3, he says, I call upon the Lord, I call upon Yahweh, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. And so what we see in these first three verses of the entire psalm is going to be a a summary of what this psalm is about. That David in distress cries out to God uh, and he is delivered. And uh, the the affection that David demonstrates here is maybe a little bit uh, foreign to us. Some of us may be a little bit uncomfortable uh, saying, I love you, Lord. We've kind of, many of us would be maybe John Wayne or Clint Eastwood Christians, right? Uh, those stoic cowboys, uh, those emotionless examples of, of masculinity, uh, that we don't express uh, anything. That's what we're, we're called to, to do, right? We just don't, don't show any emotion. People might accuse us of having emotions. Uh, but what we see here with David is he cannot help but express his emotion to God. And we, we cannot hold back our words of affection and adoration uh, to God. Now, and uh, if, if you have struggled in this way, I'm not telling you to force it. I'm not saying uh, just put on a show of affection and emotion for others. That, that's not what you should do uh, if you have struggled to, to show emotion in this way. Uh, if you have struggled in this way, do what David did. And what did David do? He just he recalled all of the times and all of the ways that God had been faithful to him. Uh, over years and years. He, he remembers all of the times where uh, God has acted to deliver him. Uh, all of the times God has responded to his prayer with just-in-time responses. Uh, and when you, when you recall all of those things, when you recount God's faithfulness, what is the natural emotion that flows out of that? Love. Uh, appreciation. Right, that, that's what David meditates upon, and the, the outflow of that is an affection for God uh, that he expresses, and that is indeed what we should uh, see and experience in our own lives. Now, that is the first uh, impulse that we should have, and even more so because we can recall the infinite blessings that we have in Christ, uh, the infinite blessings that we have in God sending his Son to accomplish our salvation. And if we meditate upon these things, we won't be able to help but express our affection for God who has saved us through His Son. And this expression of our affection for God should be our first impulse. But it should not be our only impulse. Secondly, in verses 4 through 19, we should grow in amazement at Yahweh's deliverance. And what we see in these verses is the power of poetry. 
Okay. Uh, earlier, uh, in prior to the, the book of Psalms, we'll, we'll eventually read in our scripture reading, First uh, Samuel chapter 20. Uh, David is speaking with Jonathan, uh, and he's describing his situation. And look at how succinctly David puts it here. He says, there is but a step between me and death. And that's an accurate picture of David's situation. He's running for his life. But compare that just straightforward prose in 1 Samuel 20 to verses 4, 5, and 6 in Psalm 18. Uh, Look at how David describes his situation poetically and see and behold uh, how much more it conveys of David's own emotion and of his situation. It paints uh, a far greater picture for us. Uh, Verse 4 says, The cords of death encompassed me. And the torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. And in my distress I called upon the Lord. And to my God I cried for help from His temple. He heard my voice and my cry to Him reached His ears. David is saying, yes, there's but one step between me and death in 1 Samuel. And here in Psalm 18 he's saying, literally the earth is trying to swallow me and drag me down into the grave. Now that's a picture, right? Conveys his emotion and what things are feeling like in his current plight or before he was delivered. But then in verses 7 to 15, David provides another description. Very poetic language. uh, And he paints a powerful picture. He describes how Yahweh has accomplished his deliverance. Uh, And and look and see what uh, David paints with his words. Look at me at verses 7 through 16. David says, Then the earth reeled and rocked, and the foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind, and he made darkness his covering. His canopy around him, thick clouds, dark with water. And out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire and he sent out his arrows and scattered them he flashed forth lightnings and routed them and then the channels of the sea were seen and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke O lord at the blast of the breath of your nostrils he sent from on high he took me he drew me out of many waters now the the language here is pretty amazing Uh, And and the picture that David paints. And and he uses the same type of language uh, that Moses used to describe God's appearance uh, at the Red Sea uh, and on Mount Sinai. Uh, He also uses a particular word uh, at the very end, verse 16. He sent me from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. Uh, that, That word drew me is only used really on one other occasion. It's used here in Psalm 18 and in the matching uh, psalm in 2 Samuel 22. But the only other time that word is used is in Exodus chapter 2, verse 10, where it describes uh, or explains Moses' name. See, Moses was given the name Moses by Pharaoh's daughter because she drew him out of the water of the Nile. 
Uh, and so what David is doing here, he's connecting uh, God's own uh, past history of redemptive work of how God has worked to save and deliver Moses and how God worked to save and deliver uh, Israel out of Egypt and how God revealed himself to the nation of Israel on Mount Sinai. David is weaving all of that in and then saying, this is how God has delivered me. Again, building upon God's past faithfulness to have courage and hope uh, in present circumstances. That's what we see David doing in drawing these connections. And overall, and using all of this poetic language, David is, is trying to instill within us some awe and amazement at who God is. Uh, and to, to picture and, and portray to us the great lengths uh, that God went to save and redeem his servants. Uh, and uh, seeing those great links uh, to grow in our amazement for God and who He is. Uh, in, in Jane Austen's well-known book, Emma, some of you may have read it or watched it or uh, uh, seen documentaries or whatever it may be, there, there's a famous scene in that book uh, in which a, a young woman is very rudely rejected uh, from the opportunity to dance. Uh, and uh, she is so uh, put to shame and embarrassed. Uh, and uh, there is one gentleman, appropriately named Mr. Knightley, who, seeing her shame and embarrassment, walks across the room and asks her to dance. Uh, and what's amazing is when that happens, when she sees him walk across the room and take an interest in her and come to save and rescue her from her shame and embarrassment, what happens to him in her estimation? She, she is amazed at his good character and his kindness. But what we see here is not God crossing a room to save and rescue his servant David. What is, what is God doing? He's descending from the heavens uh, in a chariot of clouds and uh, the thunder is rumbling and the lightning is flashing and God has heard and is going to answer the prayer of his one single servant. This is what God will do in the answer uh, to the prayers of his people. Uh, and David wants us to be amazed by this. He wants us to see it and worship God who would take such an interest. Verses 17 through 20 then, then show the results of the Lord's descent to rescue David. If you look with me at those verses. David says, He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, and, and they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, and the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And again, David is, is weaving all of this together. Back in verse 5, David said that in his distress he cried out to God. That idea of in his distress is literally in my narrowness, right? When, when, we, are, when we are in those seasons of trials and, and difficulty, how does the world feel, right? Like we are stuck in a canyon, like the world is, is closing in upon us. Uh, and then in verse 19, what does David say? That God has brought him out into a, a broad, open space. This is the deliverance that God brings for his people. And all of this shows the worth of an individual soul to God. Okay, this is the, the picture uh, that David is seeking to paint for us here. 
of Yahweh figuratively descending from heaven to save David. And David is amazed by Yahweh's deliverance, and he is amazed by the love that it demonstrates. And David feels a great indebtedness to God for his deliverance, right? as David has meditated upon this. And yet you and I should be even more amazed than David, because David is, again, he's speaking figuratively here. Uh, he, he's portraying God as figuratively coming down from the heavens. But you and I have a Savior who didn't just figuratively come down from the heavens. He literally came down from the heavens. Uh, and he lived a perfect life and died a sacrificial death uh, and rose from the grave and then ascended into heaven so that we could be rescued, reconciled, and redeemed. So that we could be forgiven uh, and have a relationship with this God whom David is describing right here and right now. We should be even more amazed than David is at this. Listen to Philippians 2, verses 6 through 11, as the Apostle Paul describes Jesus coming down. It says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the, the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now that is what we must meditate upon. That is the, 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 the amazement that we should grow in as we see uh, the Lord condescending to come down and save and rescue us. This is the, the second impulse that we see uh, from King David, and this is the second impulse that we need to feel and experience as we see God's deliverance of our physical bodies in earthly temporal situations, but also spiritually and eternally. This is the salvation that God has wrought for us in Christ. But then moving on to the third impulse that we see in verses 20 through 30, that we should connect our deliverance with Yahweh's character. And in this section, David begins by speaking about his own loyalty and faithfulness to Yahweh. If you look with me at verses 20 to 24, you see uh, David speaking. He says, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from my guilt. And so the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. Now initially when, you, when we read this, you might say, well, that's a little prideful and boastful of David, right? Like, how can he say that? Like, I, I actually know the sins that David commits. And you're like, well, I would remind you uh, that in the, where this psalm is written is before David's great sins with Bathsheba and, and against Uriah. And uh, at this point in time, what David is, is speaking of here, he's speaking of uh, earthly deliverance, not salvation from sin. He is not saying, God, you have saved me from sin because I am so great and I am so pure and so holy. That's not what he's saying. David is connecting his earthly deliverance from human enemies with his obedience to God. 
he's proclaiming that overall he has been faithful and obeyed uh, Yahweh, and uh, Yahweh is rescuing and saving him because he has been faithful and remained true to Yahweh. Uh, and David connects it or describes his own obedience, but he doesn't end there. See, verses 25 to 27 are very important because after uh, proclaiming his faithfulness to God, not his faultlessness, but his faithfulness, after proclaiming his faithfulness, David moves and connects his obedience and his deliverance with the character of God. Look at those verses, 25 to 27. David says this, With the merciful you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. See, David is doing a connect the dots. Right? He's going to connect uh, the right dots, uh, and he's going to draw a line in his, his own obedience, and he's going to connect it to his theology. Uh, and if you connect the, the, the right dots, you see uh, God delivers you uh, because of his faithfulness. If you connect the wrong dots, you're going to come to the conclusion that, well, it's just because I'm so great uh, and I've earned this. That, that's never the case because God is able to deliver you even in your disobedience, right? Right now, Jacob is preaching through what Old Testament book, what Old Testament prophet? Jonah. What was Jonah's obedience level on a scale of 1 to 10? Highly disobedient. And yet, what does God do? He redeems him. He doesn't say, okay, you disobeyed. Now you're just going to be eaten by the fish. He says, okay, go on the fish for a bit, repent, and then now go do what I said. Uh, and God was, was gracious to Jonah, even in the middle of his disobedience. So God is able to deliver us, whether we are in sin or out of sin. Uh, but God overall has a tendency to deliver his people when they are faithful to him. That was the whole basis of the Old Testament covenant, right? The blessings and the curses in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. If you obey God and remain faithful, to him, he will bless you. You won't be able to outrun the blessings. Uh, but if you disobey God and rebel against him, you won't be able to outrun the curses. That's what God outlines in his word. And David is saying, God, I have been faithful to you. Uh, but ultimately, David is connecting his deliverance with the character of God. That, that is his assurance. That is his hope. Not in his, in his own faithfulness and trustworthiness, but in the very character of God. Now, and David speaks in verses 28 through 30 about the confidence that God's character instills within him. Uh, because God has delivered him and God is faithful and true, this is the, the courage that uh, God's word and God's character gives to David. If you look at verse 28 through 30, it says, For it is you who light my lamp, the Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true, and he is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. David is, is recalling and recounting, building his hope uh, and connecting his deliverance with uh, the character and trustworthiness of God and his word. And our obedience is important, but God's character is paramount. Okay? Uh, our obedience is, is good, but God's trustworthiness is of such greater importance, and that's what we must lay our hope in. Because if our hope is purely in our obedience... What are we always going to be concerned about? Have I done enough? 
Have I been obedient enough to earn God's deliverance? But we have to keep in mind, our deliverance is not based upon our efforts, but upon God, who saves and delivers His servant, His people, according to His Word. And we must trust that with the purified, He will show Himself to be pure. Uh, And with those who are crooked, says in verse 26, that you make yourself seem torturous. I'm going to play on words there. That with the twisted, you make yourself to appear twisted. Uh, That you will turn the plans of those who are uh, wicked and evil, you will turn their plans over upon their own heads. And again, we see this throughout Scripture, throughout church history. Uh, Just think about the book of Esther. Right? What were the, the plans of, of Haman, the Agagite? What did he want to do? He wanted to destroy all of the, the Jews. He wanted to destroy Mordecai. And the, the, the layers of irony in the book of Esther are tremendous because uh, Haman builds a gallows uh, to execute Mordecai. And then who ends up, uh, spoiler alert, who ends up uh, being executed on the gallows that Haman builds? He himself. Uh, And so this is what God delights to do. Uh, He loves to save his people and to turn the heads, uh, turn the plans of the wicked on their heads. And we have to remember this uh, in seasons of suffering and difficulty. Right? And so David is saying these words now and, and singing and proclaiming and praising God. But for many, many years, what might it felt like for David? That God was not going to redeem him, even though he was trustworthy, right? So also think through, for all of these years that David was pure and faithful to God, he was on the run. There was a lot of years of suffering, uh, and David is singing this at the end of it, but we have to have the same mindset in the middle of it. Not just after we have been delivered, but in the middle uh, of those seasons where we need to be delivered. Uh, And God, again, has shown His faithfulness in countless occasions in his words and throughout church history. And he is able to do in the present what he has done so often in the past. And so what we see here is we have to have these impulses uh, and uh, a desire to express our affection to God, uh, a, uh, an impulse to grow in our amazement of him constantly, uh, and the impulse to connect our deliverances, not to ourselves, but to God's faithful character. And then fourthly, in verses 31 to 46, we should boast in celebration of Yahweh's deliverance. Okay? You're like, but I thought we weren't supposed to boast. Well, we have to direct our boasting uh, in the right direction. Uh, And what are we boasting about? Now, what we see in verses uh, 31 to 36 is David begins his boasting by boasting in what God himself has accomplished. He says, let me tell you about Yahweh, my God. Let me tell you what he has done. Do you read with me verses 31 to 36? It says, For who is God but the Lord, but Yahweh? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. You notice that? God's way is blameless. His word is blameless. And what's the effect upon God's servant? That it makes him blameless as well. He made my feet like the feet of a deer, and he set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. And you have given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand supported me, and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. 
So David begins there. Let me tell you what God has done in my life and how he has trained me and prepared me for this moment and kept me secure uh, throughout my entire life. And then in verses 37 to 42, David boasts about uh, what Yahweh has enabled him to do. He says, now I've told you about God. Now let me tell you and recount everything that God has enabled me to do. If you look with me beginning in verse 37, I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet, for you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, and those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind, and I cast them out like the mire of the streets. David is describing, again, in very poetic language, uh, the victory that God has strengthened and enabled him to accomplish over his enemies. Uh, and uh, it's important to, to see and, and understand that, again, David is boasting, but not, not in his boasting pointing to himself, but all of his boasting is directed towards who? towards who God is and what God has done in and through him. And then David, uh, David's boasting in the Lord uh, goes beyond what the Lord has even allowed him uh, to accomplish in his own life. David begins to boast about what the Lord will do in the future. If you look with me in verses 43 to, to 45, you, you see uh, David's going to describe Gentile nations coming under his power and authority. It says, you delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. And as soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. Now, uh, it's true that during David's earthly reign, uh, he was uh, a king who, in parts of his territory, included uh, Gentiles. Uh, there were some Gentiles who were a part of the nation of, of Israel, uh, and in that sense, uh, this was fulfilled in David's own time. But what's described here is also a lot bigger than just David himself. Uh, and what we see uh, is that there is a greater David, a descendant of David, who will exercise uh, this type of authority over the nations in a way that David never did. Uh, David is looking forward to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ. Uh, even uh, as David celebrates the victory that the Lord has won for him, he's, he's not boasting in his own power, but he's boasting in who God is and what God's plans are. Right? Uh, and in this, David is an example of what it looks like to boast in the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24 Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Uh, that's what we see David being an example of. And if you just think back uh, to... Uh, a week or two ago, and, and watching the Olympics, right? You, you watch the the victory speeches of those who who won, and and you will be able to tell quite a bit, right? There's a tremendous difference when uh, an athlete wins, and they say uh, they they give all of the thanks uh, and honor and glory to who? 
right? They, they boast, like, I'd like to thank my trainer uh, and myself uh, and, you know, just th- this whole realm. Uh, and then there, there are those who, uh, when, they're, when they're interviewed, who do they immediately begin to boast and thank? God. Right? Especially there were a couple of ladies on the, the women's track team. Uh, who ma- broke world records, uh, you know, Allison Felix, and then there was a, the 400-meter hurdler uh, whose, whose name I'm forgetting right now. But as soon as they were interviewed, they say, glory be to God. I'm going to thank him for what he has enabled me to do. Uh, and that should be our impulse uh, is to speak about God in those ways, uh, to boast about who he is and what he has done. Uh, and uh, again, just just thinking and examining your own life. When was the last time you boasted about the character of God? When was the last time you boasted about who He is, what He has done in your life? Uh, and you think about it, even just boasting to yourself, right? Uh, just think about it, like what has the Lord done? And our our tendency is we don't even we don't talk about these things, we don't recall these things, uh, and ultimately, what does boasting tend to do? Those who boast tend to boast even more and more, right? But if we boast in the wrong things, uh, we become more and more prideful. But what happens when we boast more and more in the Lord? Well, we end up like King David, right? Where we are constantly boasting in the Lord, uh, and we have a strong confidence in who he is and what he's going to do, right? which enables him not to be shaken by Goliath or Saul or the other enemies who were pursuing him. Uh, but he remains steadfast because he boasts in the character, strength, and trustworthiness of God. And so we have to have an impulse toward speaking to others about our God, recounting to ourselves and boasting to ourselves about who Jesus is, who God is, all that he has accomplished on our behalf, even echoing back to God and boasting uh, about him to him. God, look at all the amazing things that you've done to me and for me. Isn't that what David is doing in this psalm? Going back to the superscription. All of these words are directed to who? To Yahweh himself. It's echoing back who Yahweh is and what he has done. So may we boast in Yahweh. May we express our affection to him. May we grow in amazement of him and connect our deliverance to him. And then finally... Uh, a fifth impulse that we see in the last four verses, 47 to 50, that we should sing praises to Yahweh and His anointed. Actually, verse 46 is where it begins. Uh, and it begins with a doxology. Very simple and profound. Three words in English, but two words in the Hebrew. Yahweh lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who delivered me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me, and you rescued me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. So what we, what we see here uh, is David, he began with praise uh, and he's ending with praise. Uh, he is recounting all that God has done for him and all of his recounting uh, leads him uh, to, to praise God, right? He recounts what God has done in verses 46 to 48 
And then verse 49, that first word, first two words, for this. Because you have delivered me, what is David's commitment? What's his impulse? What is he going to do? He's going to sing. He's going to, to praise Yahweh among the nations and sing to his name. And in one sense, uh, David is God's anointed king. Right? He is the king whom God has chosen. Uh, and so when David speaks of uh, singing to Yahweh and the salvation that he brings and, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, uh, yes, he is speaking about himself, but, but there is once more uh, a bigger picture here. There is a, a greater David uh, in view. Uh, and actually the Apostle Paul uh, in Romans 15 uh, quotes this verse. And what's, what's interesting is that he quotes this verse uh, to show how Jesus would be, as God's anointed one, he would be used by God to draw the nations to God himself. Uh, and that the nations would worship uh, God and his anointed one. Uh, and the Apostle Paul quotes this passage. And even the way he quotes this passage shows that it's actually Paul is viewing th- these words as being spoken by Jesus himself. It's a very interesting uh, study there in, in Romans uh, 15. But, but again, going back to what we looked at last week in Psalm 2. What are the nations doing? They are raging against Yahweh and against His anointed one. Uh, of what we see. And, and David understands that. And he also understands that God has firmly established His King. And, and David is saying, we need to have the impulse to sing to Yahweh to worship Him in response to who He is and to all that He has done. And Jesus is the one who deserves our praises and adoration, and our impulse should be to sing to Him. Amen? Not only for our salvation, but also for the smaller deliverances that He brings in our lives. And when we do experience those deliverances, when we experience wide open space after seasons of narrowness, uh, we should have these impulses that we see from King David here. We should have the impulse to express our affection to God, to grow in our amazement at God, to connect our deliverance with His character, to boast in our celebration of His deliverance, and to sing praises to Him and about Him. Uh, But might pause there and kind of come up for air a little bit. No, we, we covered 50 verses. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, but, but coming up for air, why is all of this significant? Why did David, was he such a uh, prideful guy where he's like, Israel needs to sing about my deliverance as king, right? Uh, is there a greater significance to all of this? Why, is this? why was this important for Israel to sing corporately in worship to God? And why does this still matter? And why is this important for us to sing and study uh, and echo back to God? Well, because it is helpful and instructive both to Israel and to us. See, as we, as we read and sing about God's deliverance of King David, that we see God's track record of faithfulness. We see God's character and His concern for His people. And as we see God's character and concern with His people in the past, what can we be assured of in the present? That He sees, that He is concerned, and that He will act according to His character and His trustworthiness. And there's a long track record of faithfulness. 
And studying the Psalms reminds us of this. And it's very important for us to keep in mind right now, because David, who wrote this psalm, was at the, the end of a long season of trials. Uh, and it, it feels like where we are uh, in time and space and in history, uh, that we as Christians in America are on the, the brink of one of those long seasons of, of trials. Right? Uh, and so it's almost like as we read this psalm, uh, we are passing by David. He's coming out of the Colosseum, and we're walking in. And we're seeing him bruised and bloodied, but doing what? Praising God. Proclaiming God's faithfulness. And as we walk in, we may be a little timid because we don't know what's going to happen in there. We may not know the outcome, but what can we rest assured of? God's character is the same now as it was for King David. Uh, and that's why this, this is an important psalm. And the psalms are always important, but I think especially right here and right now, as we walk into a season of uh, unknowns, right? Uh, it seems like the, 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 the culture and the society around us seems to be crumbling right now. Uh, and I myself have to continue to remind myself uh, of the, the truth that I preached last week. That, that God rules this world and He has established His King. And though the nations rage, they're not going to overthrow God. God's response to the nation's rebellion is laughter and derision. But we need to hold tight Psalm 18 because we know that one day we will get to sing a psalm like this with David. And I don't know what the future holds, uh, but I know who holds the future, right? Uh, and uh, we know that we should strive to walk in the footsteps of this David as he trusted in the Lord. As I was reading God's Word a few weeks ago, I was reading through Acts chapter 13. And as the Apostle Paul was preaching there in Acts chapter 13, he made just a, a, a statement about King David. He says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation... Uh, he speaks of David dying and going to corruption uh, uh, and speaking of the, the resurrected Christ. But, but that little phrase uh, that David, what did he do in his generation? He served the purpose of God. Now, each and every one of us, uh, God decided when we would live and when we would die, right? And he has placed us here uh, in America at this exact time. Uh, and he has prepared us to walk in this exact season. And he will be with us all the way through that, no matter what comes to pass. Uh, and one day, whether in this life or in heaven, we will get to sing and praise and worship God for the way that he walked with us through this trial. Amen? And we need to take heart at that in this season. And that's why the Psalms are wonderful and poetic and majestic and teach us to worship and sing and glorify our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray and then let's continue to sing to him.